Hello and welcome back to Rupture Radio, a weekly look at news, politics and culture from a socialist perspective. We have a number of interviews and episodes in the pipeline, including a special live Rupture Radio uh, recording this Saturday, December 10th in Connolly Books, Temple Bar, as part of the Rupture Issue 9 launch party. There we'll be interviewing Cat activist Padraig McCusker on tenant organising in Ireland and his article on that subject in Issue 9 of Rupture. Join us for that launch party, grab a drink, hear from our authors and be the first to get your hands on the new issue. While we get that and other episodes ready, we have a special bonus episode for our listeners this week. It's highlights from an international debate on how socialists worldwide should respond to the war in Ukraine and in particular the question of if socialists should, should support NATO involvement and military aid. This debate was facilitated by more. Marxists organising for revolutionary eco-socialism, an international collective involving rise in Ireland, reform and revolution in the US, learning camp in Germany. Uh, we include here the contributions of five of the key speakers representing different outlooks at that event, including a Ukrainian speaker who joined the meeting and shared their opinion as well. We thought you'd all like to hear this debate and if you want to hear and watch the full unedited version the link to that is in the episode description. Without further ado, I'll hand you over to the recording of the meeting. Thanks a lot, Alex. Um, thanks a lot to everyone who is attending the discussion. Um, and in particular, thanks to our speakers for agreeing to participate in what I think can be a very valuable uh, discussion. Um, I want to start from the point of view of the massive war propaganda, which is underway and has been underway throughout most of this year in large parts of the globe. Um, in Russia, obviously, our comrades are faced with immense repression and arrests for organizing protests, for resisting the war drive of uh, the Putin regime. Tens of thousands of people have been arrested. The Russian population is being bombarded with propaganda about Nazis in Ukraine and so on. But in the West, it's important to recognize that we're also subject to a massive propaganda campaign. And I give you some good examples from the just one last one week in Ireland, uh, a supposedly neutral country. So on Tuesday, the Taoiseach, the Prime Minister of Ireland, describes the People Before Profit members of Parliament as, quote, puppets for the Putin regime. You know, an incredible slander of opposition members of parliament as effectively fifth columnists, despite the fact that, of course, we have a record of opposing Putin much more consistently than Fianna Fáil, the, his party, uh, does. Um, it's because we oppose the participation of Ireland in military training missions of Ukraine. We oppose its participation in the NATO-led Ukraine contact defence group, and we oppose the sending of military aid to Ukraine. On the same day, another member of the government party said we were on Putin's Christmas list. Then on Thursday, we were treated to a live address by the president of the European Commission. And she told us that, quote, in Ukraine, there is more at stake than the future of one country alone. Ukraine is fighting for freedom itself, for safe rule, 
for the rules-based global order. And this is the Irish example of what is happening across Europe. Huge increases in military expenditure, Finland and Sweden being quick marched into NATO and with US hegemony over EU militarization being asserted. And in this atmosphere of propaganda and intimidation, I think we on the revolutionary socialist left have the duty to try to think clearly and objectively about what is happening. So at the, at, at the outset, I'd like to say that this is a debate among revolutionary socialists who share many aspects of our analysis. And I say that to make two points. Firstly, because while this will be a sharp and quite critical debate, I presume with significant disagreements, it is a debate happening amongst comrades. And um, secondly, because I'm assuming that we have agreement on a whole series of important ideas that therefore don't need to be proved. For example, that Putin is a right-wing authoritarian leader of an imperialist state which is not acting in the interests of Russian speakers in Ukraine or against Nazism in Ukraine. And that US imperialism and European imperialism and NATO are not a force for good or peace in the world. And when they talk about a rule-based global order, they mean a Western imperialist hegemony. Because of that, I think we don't need to debate whether there is an imperialist invasion of Ukraine by Russia and a legitimate and just war of national liberation by Ukrainian people against that invasion. I think there clearly is. I think all four speakers can agree on that. And in that conflict, to be clear, we are on the side of the Ukrainian people against the brutal invasion that they're facing. We should defend the right of Ukrainian people to self-determination. We should also support the right of minorities within Ukraine to self-determination, recognizing that that can only be done by the withdrawal of occupying troops and the right of all refugees to return. However, and this, I think, is where our analyses diverge. I don't think that this is only an imperialist invasion. I think it is also a part of an inter-imperialist conflict with Russia and its allies on one side and with US-led Western imperialism on the other side with the aim of trying to weaken Russia. And in this conflict, we think that revolutionary socialists should oppose both sides. So this is complicated. We have two intertwined aspects of this conflict, but this is the world we live in with rival imperialist powers jockeying for position, national oppressions. It's a complicated world, and we have to deal with that complicated reality instead of ignoring it. Right. And the crux of the disagreement at an analytical level is whether this second aspect conflict is present here. So as I understand from the article that was shared, the comrades from Tempest agree that their quote, is an inter-imperialist conflict behind the war. The Executive Bureau of the Fourth International states there is a, quote, background of inter-imperialist strife. So both situate it as a passive backdrop or context, not an active part of the war that we're seeing fought out. And fundamentally, I don't think that adds up or correlates to the facts that we see. Well before Russia's invasion, there was a clearly expansionist agenda of NATO, it expanded 800 kilometers eastwards since the fall of the Berlin Wall. It has had annual, very large military exercises on Russia's borders. It has positioned NATO battle groups and missiles in neighboring countries to Russia. 
And since the invasion, all of that has rapidly accelerated. So the number of troops under direct NATO control in Eastern Europe has gone from 4,000 to 40,000 in the space of less than six months. This is in addition to what the French finance minister described as total economic war against Russia, namely the extensive sanctions aimed at crippling the Russian economy and impoverishing ordinary Russian workers. At this point, we lost Paul's audio for a couple of seconds, but he has sent on notes of what he said. The following is what he said. There are extensive training exercises for Ukrainian armed forces by NATO. Most significantly, probably, is the largest weapons transfer in history. Tens of billions of dollars worth of weapons have been handed over by by the US, Britain and the EU to Ukraine. There is everything short of direct military involvement. It seems that the comrades on the other side of this argument say this is the key thing. Until there are direct clashes, there is no inter-imperialist conflict. There is simply an inter-imperialist background. Um, But I don't think that makes any sense. Uh, You can find quote after quote from prominent European and US leaders saying this is our war. Why don't we believe them when they tell us that? Um, To just say there are no direct conflicts, there's no direct involvement, inter-imperialist conflict, if isn't a direct clash between troops, I think ignores the complexities of the world where proxy battles and proxy wars are very possible. It also results in a very peculiar paradox, given the nuclear armed status of both Russia and NATO. So the comrades, I think, don't won't accept that we're in an inter-imperialist conflict unless they are actually shooting each other. But both sides know that if there is direct conflict, well, then things can very, very quickly spiral into a nuclear uh, war. So they therefore find ways to have a conflict without directly shooting each other. It means the comrades would only recognize an inter-imperialist conflict when we could be hours or days away from a sort of nuclear conflict which would threaten uh, all of humanity. So what are the consequences of that? For me, recognizing the dual character of the conflict means that as socialists in Western countries, we need to seek ways to support Ukrainians in their struggle against Russian oppression, that's a just struggle, while simultaneously opposing the imperialist agenda of the Western camp. That obviously means slightly different things in different concrete national circumstances. In Ireland, for example, I think it means welcoming refugees. It means calling for a significant increase in humanitarian aid. It means calling for cancellation of Ukrainian debt, a demand raised by the social movement in Ukraine. For example, we have put down a motion in the parliament in Ireland to to do so and raised it continuously. It means calling to shut down the shadow banking system in the Irish financial sector, which is used by Russian oligarchs and oligarchs from other countries. But it also means strongly opposing the Irish government using this as an opportunity to drive militarization against sending military aid to Ukraine, which is being sent to further the interests of Western imperialism, against participating in EU military missions against participating in the NATO alliance of the Ukraine Contact Defence Group and against the sanctions, which in reality are an instrument of of war. Just want to finish with, with one point, which is, I think, a dangerous logic of the comrades who have the other position and ask them to respond, which I think the danger is if we accept that all of a sudden in this conflict, NATO, US imperialism can be a force for good. After everything it has in Iraq, Afghanistan, over the last couple of decades or over the past 50, 60, 70 years. If we accept that here 
it can be a force for good. If we call for it to send weapons, we support its sending weapons. Well, then do we not undermine our argument in the future against militarization, against the undermining of neutrality in Ireland or against the role of NATO in the US or uh, whatever? Um, do we not undermine our principled anti-imperialist and socialist position, which I think we are all struggling for? Thanks. All right. Thank you so much, Paul. Um, next, we will uh, take uh, Aaron Emerald. Go ahead. Thank you, comrades. And I'll be, I'll certainly take the five minutes later to respond to, to, to Paul and others. I want to start by thanking the organizers for the invitation, my fellow panelists. Um, as I hope is clear, I'm a member of the Tempest Collective, which is a small revolutionary socialist organizing collective in the U.S., and I'm on the editorial board of our website. Um, I'm also a member of a newly developing group in the U.S. called the Ukraine Solidarity Network, which is starting to organize events and intervention, and which I hope you'll be hearing more about in the near future. Uh, Ten minutes is not a lot of time, but given the lineup, I want to explicitly acknowledge that these opportunities um, are incredibly, for exchanging debates on perspectives and strategy, incredibly valuable um, and important. But I also want to say and given this is a thematically ties into my brief talk, that this is a debate amongst those of us outside of Ukraine. And it's important for us for this debate to be wholly informed by our engagement with uh, and our listening carefully to our comrades inside of the democratic forces inside of Ukraine itself. We need to be centering um, the, the questions of what's happening inside Ukraine and, the, and, and those forces. Um, almost 10 months in, and the analytic starting point remains the same. In relation to the position of the internationalist, anti-imperialist, socialist left, Ukraine was subject to an invasion by Russia. I know Paul says this, this is, is, a, is a given, but it's important to think about the 6,000 uh, dead Ukrainian civilians, the 10,000 plus soldiers that have been killed or injured, the 7 million refugees, the mass destruction of Ukrainian infrastructure, and the, you know, uh, I think the estimates of damage were already at a half a trillion dollars in May of 2022. I can't imagine what they are um, now. Um, this is not even to speak of the impact in Russia, albeit incomparably less significant, but which has seen three times the casualties and an economy and a society upended by this pursuit. Um, so, you know, we believe, um, I'll speak of the political opening in Ukraine, but the political impact in Russia is also important in terms of our building of solidarity and is inversely sobering in terms of the consolidation of the authoritarian state there and the strengthening of fascist, essentially fascist currents in Russia. Um, I, I, I'm glad to hear that it's taken as a given that Russia is acting in its own imperial interests. Um, we agree that this is an inter that there's an interimperial dynamic to this war, an active interimperial dynamic to this war. Um, but the debates around defining imperialism, we don't think um, undermine the basic uh, fundamental question, which is a democratic right that Ukraine has to defend itself and the right of national self-determination. And this includes the rights of Ukrainians to obtain arms from wherever they can. Um, in a context in which the triumphant army of the of our Revolutionary Socialist Workers' Republic is not yet a reality, um, this is an important uh, point. To stand um, with Ukrainians means fundamentally in this context, in this invasion, standing for their right to obtain arms. The otherwise, the, the, the gesture to solidarity, we believe, is meaningless. Again, the starting point here is clear, 
and cannot be glossed over or hand-waved away. There is an obligation to unconditionally support the democratic right of Ukrainians to defend themselves. In particular, Ukraine has since 91, 1991 been in the process of reestablishing a national identity, a contested process of nation-building over centuries, but that has been inalterably interrupted and transformed by Putin's invasion. And it is important to recognize both aspects. First, Ukraine as a nation and the contested post-Soviet process against the chauvinism of both the Stalinists on the left and their cousins, the great Russian nationalists who deny the nationhood of Ukraine. And second, the contested nature of the national project. Um, because one of the favorite gambits of those, maybe outside of this debate, but those including on the left, who'd sort of want to paint Ukraine with a monochromatic brush. Those people who deny the contested nature of the national project in Ukraine and say Ukraine is Zelensky or Ukraine is the Azov Battalion, Svoboda, et cetera. Um, so they deny the in existence of independent trade unions. They deny the existence of a Ukrainian left, deny the existence of popular organizations of women, LGBTQ folks, national minorities, who are not only voices in this process, but who overwhelmingly stand for the defense of Ukraine. Uh, the point here is not to deny the existence of the far right or nationalist elements in both Ukraine and Russia, but to say that there is much more happening in both countries. And given the history in Ukraine um, and Russia and the fact, and in fact, most of Eastern Europe since the consolidation of the Stalinist counter-revolution in the 19, uh, late 1920s into the post-war period, the international left should be driven by a concern, a central concern to build strong, lasting and solidaristic ties to forces in those countries, in this case, in particular, Ukraine. So I'm going to speak both on a principle and a strategic basis. In principle, as I have already stated, our starting point is that with the Russian invasion, the central issue, the issue that has to be centered and cannot be waved away is the basic democratic right of national self-determination, the right to defend oneself against a brutal invading army, and what it then means to stand in solidarity with those folks who are crying for arms to defend themselves. This includes the, So this includes the right of Ukraine to obtain weapons from wherever it can. Um, while it is, of course, true, as is always the case between nation states and the imperialist world system, that the Ukrainian war is implicated in, in an active inter-imperial conflict, not passive, that just as Russia used the invasion as an ill-fated effort to strengthen its position, um, the NATO and the U.S. and the EU are actively using the war as a pretext to strengthen theirs, and which has proven, yes, very successful. However, to simply call this a proxy war or a war between the West and Russia is to evade the reality of the national question and the basic democratic rights at issue in the war and what the forces in Ukraine who with with it with which we with whom we claim to be in solidarity are asking for the so-called contra war in Nicaragua in the 80s was a proxy war dreamed up and initiated by the US in nearly every aspect this war is more equivalent to the Vietnam war um and insofar as we defended the right of the North Vietnamese and the National Liberation Front uh, uh to obtain arms from wherever it could including Stalinist China and Russia despite the distinct imperial interests and active inter-imperial conflict that it represented, um, we still defended that right. The idea that the war in Ukraine can be reduced to a proxy war or can be reduced to an inter-imperial conflict is belied by both the last 10 months 
And what is increasingly clear to anyone paying attention over the last few weeks and months of the divergence of strategic interests between Ukraine and its main arms suppliers in NATO and the U.S. Uh, first off, NATO and the U.S. have had every opportunity, every invitation to make this an active uh, proxy war with the introduction of no-fly zones or otherwise active duty NATO troops into Ukraine. And this has been studiously avoided uh, at every step. Biden's handling of the missile striking the, Ukra the Polish border is another example of how carefully the U.S. in particular has been to avoid the direct confrontation. The head of the CIA last month spent significant time in Turkey laying the groundwork for a negotiated settlement that appears um, to be essentially over the heads of Ukraine. Macron's recent visit to Washington raises this prospect as well. The idea of a proxy war would imply a bilateral dynamic that does not fit the complex reality at issue here. Um, again, this is not to deny the interimperial dynamic, which is very real, but to deny its primacy. On any issue of, of any proposed ceasefire or proposed peace talks, the international left should be guided in the main by the voices in Ukraine. And again, I don't just mean Zelensky, but I mean the democratic forces from below, uh, the left, the trade unions, the popular organizations. We should be in the main deferring to those voices on the questions of Donbass and Crimea, while unconditionally reiterating our defense of the democratic rights of minority minority rights, language rights, et cetera, as well as speaking our implacable hostility to Western imperialism uh, and NATO and the EU, a line that's only likely to be heard if we're actually standing in active solidarity with uh, the forces in Ukraine. One minute. Um, sorry, what was that? Oh, one minute left. Okay. Uh, the strategic starting point for the international left, which is arguably, arguably at a historically weak ebb, and facing resurgent forces of the authoritarian right has to be the rebuilding of our own forces and recreating networks of solidarity and resistance from below in Ukraine and across Eastern Europe that haven't existed for decades. We have to be driven by the imperative to build an alternative to the imperial camps and to demonstrate that there remains an imminent popular democratic force that can stand against both the imperial camps and that can ultimately stand against the imperial system uh, per se. For decades, the left thought itself forced to align with Moscow or Washington and devastating consequence to our project. The same dynamic in 1991, which reopened the process of national self-determination in Ukraine, and which has been violently interrupted by Putin's invasion, strengthened the prospect of the international left rebuilding itself across the region. In this moment, that requires our standing with them in the defense of the basic democratic rights uh, without illusions, but to give us an opening to engage our hostility to NATO and US imperialism and imperialism as a whole requires us stating that they have a right to get to gain arms from wherever they can. Thank you. All right, thank you so much. Um, our next speaker will be Andrew Cole. Go ahead. Hello, comrades. Thanks a lot for the invitation. Um, just, just to start with, I'd like to make some uh, preliminary remarks. In the first place, the uh, the need to stress that, <clears throat> excuse me, the, the need to address complexity before developing a, a finished uh, position. Uh, the impossibility to understand any ongoing conflict out of the framework of major historic events that preceded it in the last thirty years. Remember also that the armed conflicts are always very uncertain and it's impossible to predict their outcome as they condense major 
complex political, military, economic, uh, diplomatic dynamics. I think we must be very modest and admit our limitations. Uh, relative lack of information, as Paul was pointing out at the beginning of his intervention, uncertainty, and um, have the ability to, if necessary, to correct our approach as the events evolve and unfold. I think that the left world, worldwide has, has to avoid two symmetrical errors uh, in the approach to the war. One is, uh, firstly, it's a minority, but it's important to blame Western imperialism exclusively, the role of NATO, especially US and, uh, US and British imperialism, um, for this war, excusing Russian imperialist agenda, uh, the long national history of oppression suffered by Ukrainians, both under Tsarism and Stalinism, and the colonial nature of the Putinist invasion. There's a wide range of positions around uh, this main trend, uh, but um, I think, nevertheless, it's, it's a problem. On the other hand, I think that characterizing the war exclusively of, as a national liberation war of the Ukrainians and, and even as an anti-imperialist struggle, ignoring the major economic, political and military imperialist dispute around Ukraine that has been waged since the disintegration of the USSR, intensified since uh, 2004 and openly exploded since uh, 2014 onwards, is also a mistake. Uh, we think that both uh, characterizations tend more or less consciously to condemn only one of the sides of these imperialist blocks in dispute and tend to forgive the faults of the other. This is very disturbing because it reminds me of the collapse of the European left movement in um, labor movement in 1914, when from one day to the other, we passed from condemning imperialist wars and a few weeks later, taking sides on one of the blocks in the name of the lesser evil, uh, which, as Daniel Ben Said used, used to remind us, is uh, often the um, the shortest path to major evils. At Anticapitalistas, we think that the solidarity with the Ukrainian working people and labor movement doesn't oblige us to stop condemning uh, Western imperialists uh, and NATO and their responsibility uh, in this conflict. and. In the meantime, we think that denouncing NATO must not stop us uh, supporting the Russian opposition to the war and wishing the overthrow of Putin's autocratic regime by the Russian people themselves. In, a, in a, an article, the, the uh, Ukrainian drama and the Russian roulette that I published at the beginning of May, I, I wrote, I quote, um, three, three tasks for the Western left merge. At, uh, it must support, as far as it can, both politically and materially, the resistance of the Ukrainian people and their struggle for survival as a nation. B, it must support military defeatism of the Russian opposition to the war. And last but not least, it must oppose NATO's objective, which is fundamentally that of Washington's, who really rules in its midst in this war to prolong it as long as possible, ignoring its cost in lives and material destruction while knowing that it's aggravating three major dangers in the situation in order of importance, that the delivery of increasingly lethal weapons will lead to an escalation that, that, that can degenerate into open uh, war between NATO and Russia, that eventually, in a scenario of collapse 
of the Ukrainian state and economy and the strengthening of ultra-nationalist currents uh, through the dynamics of a protracted war open to the door to the uh, proliferation of ultra-right wing currents due to, to their significant endogenous strength and the arrival uh, from around the world of thousands of volunteer fighters, etc. Nor can a chaotic fall of uh, Putin's ultra-reactionary Bonapartism uh, brought about more by an external military defeat than by, than by a domestic political defeat be ruled out given the relative weakness of the socialist opposition in the current phase as opening the door to an openly fascist movement in Russia. So, end of the quote, I think that seven months later, the escalation of the conflict is, is a fact in terms of weaponry and risks uh, and risks of open confrontation between Russia and NATO, especially after the missile incident in Poland. The risk of collapse of Ukrainian economy, explosion of debt and infrastructural chaos of supplies as a consequence of this escalation, which also includes the blowing up of the North Stream pipeline that's suddenly disappeared from the Western media, uh, media uh, silence that, uh, in my view, points to the American authorship, is also undeniable. And finally, what makes the whole situation extremely dangerous is that the fate of Putin's regime is totally linked to the outcome of this conflict. And unfortunately, his downfall doesn't necessarily lead to a better regime. Um, just to conclude about the, the weapon issues, uh, I think as anti-capitalistas, we oppose. Um, uh, we think, in the meantime, that um, the Ukrainians have the right to acquire weapons to resist uh, an imperialist aggression, but we oppose uh, NATO government sending them because, because of the following reasons. I finish. It coincides with Western imperialist strategy to wage a proxy war against Russia, and imperialist tension and in amount imperialist tension with in Asia against China. It's lethal for the credibility of the anti-capitalist left, and it's intertwined with the rise of military expenditure in, the, in their own countries, and is contradictory to oppose social and economic consequences of war, and in the meantime, support the arms that are fueling the conflict. Because it's absolutely simplistic to believe that this, that we can end this war just by military means when it has key political roots and a very complex origin. And the fact that it's not one single war, there's at least three intertwined wars. There's a civil war, at least since uh, in some areas of the country since 2014, an imperialist effect, uh, aggression by Russia against the Ukraine uh, since February and a proxy war by NATO against Russia. I think that uh, the continuity of the war can only lead to increasing catastrophes and to a re reactionary spiral, uh, not only in, in Ukraine, but also in Europe as a, as a whole and in the world, and in a similar manner as it did in, first, in World War I. Some authors uh, say that big powers are, are sleepwalking towards a similar scenario. Uh, you may say that this position is contradictory. It probably is, but it's uh, not less than contradictory than the world situation itself. And we must accept our limitations, be aware of the weaknesses of the left in Ukraine, Russia and worldwide, and focus primarily on the solidarity with the Ukrainian and Russian anti-capitalist left. The contrary can lead us to slip into the support of one of the two blocs and jeopardize our class independence and anti-imperialist tradition. Thanks a lot. All right. Thank you so much, Andrew. Uh, and last, we have uh, Bruno Magalhães. Uh, go ahead. 
thank you so much for an invitation. Excuse me for my awful English. If I have some wrong word or misunderstanding, please ask me. Well, I'm Bruno Magalhães. I'm I'm from the Socialist Left Movement. It's a MIS, it's acronymy, a tendency of the Socialism and Liberty Party in Brazil. And we are part of the Port International also. <coughs> Sorry. Well, uh, we here in, in MIS, in, in my organization, we since the beginning of the war support the Ukrainian resistance. We have like as a matter of principle, because uh, our when the war starts and we have some situation of uh, war since 2014, but w when the Russian aggression in this year starts, we took a position to support the Ukrainian resistance. Um, we we never we don't know nothing about the Ukrainian left in that time, but because we analyzed that the uh, Putin regime and the Russian regime was like a, a Bonapartist and a fascist regime in an imperialist invasion. And the Putin speeches and the positions were against uh, the existence of the Ukrainian the state of the Ukrainian nation. I I think that the Comrade Murphy uh, uh, first speech, it was very, very good to, to put the uh, the stacks of, of what we, we are talking about, because it's not about the Russian imperialism. We all agree that there's a, a Russian imperialism. We all agree with the problem of the NATO. But I think, and for it, for that, uh, we have, we are from my organization, we have a Trotskyist tradition, and there's a very interesting uh, article of Trotsky called uh, Learn to Think. When Trotsky think about the what will happen if the uh, the fascist Ita Italia, Italia sorry, who supports the independence of Algeria. And Trotsky said, well, against an imperialist power, even a democratic imperialist power, democratic, we need to support the, the rebels with all the, the the measures because we feel them all the, the means the means sorry. because it, it's like a, we are Marxists and we have like concrete problems. Uh, the comrades we have a socialist comrades in Ukraine, we have the social Naruki comrades, we have socialist comrades in, in Russia, the socialist left movement uh, in the, the so the left, uh, the socialist movement, Russian socialist movement, sorry for the economy. And it's when we talk about uh, support the Ukrainian people, support the Ukrainian unions, support the Ukrainian resistance, but without the support of like, material support of Weapons. This is this is the, the truth. It's it's the it's a tricky problem. <laughs> I don't think it's it's easy. But you know, we have we when when the war starts, we don't have too much contact with the comrades in the Eastern Europe. But I I was there in Poland two times this year, and I talk with comrades from Hungary, from Zikra, from the comrades from Brazil. A lot of different traditions, a lot of but different leftist parties. It's not like. Uh, comrades from uh, Romania, and the problem of all of these comrades 
in the Eastern Europe, and I think in one another debate could be very interesting that invite this kind of comrade the, the, of these countries to to be here with us to to discuss. The problem was another problem. How well the, the comrades we, we invite a, a comrade from the Social Neruk, the social movement from from Ukraine, and I think the today the most important leftist organization in Ukraine. And the debate the, the was, well, we are totally against NATO, but we are facing challenges. You know, we are facing how to organize a strike against Zelensky when our cities are being taken by a, 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 a imperialist aggression. And all of us agree that was imperialist aggression. So <laughs> I think... Uh, the, it's not a, a, a easy question, but we need to to choose con- concrete concrete uh, measures to to face Five these minutes. questions. Okay, and for the Ukrainian comrades and for the Polish comrades from other for the Finnish comrades, uh, because uh, if you 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 uh, sorry, if you ask. For some Finnish or Polish or Romanian comrade about this situation, about the Russian imperialism in, in that place, they will talk about uh, Belarus, uh, Kazakhstan. There are uh, countries in the Russian imperialist orbit that there's no independent left. Our comrades from Russia are need to to are fleeing from another country because it's impossible to be a socialist in in Russia. It's different in Eastern Europe, so we, we, do, we don't want to defend that the the, the model, the, the political system, or the cap, the Eastern capitalism, or NATO is not about this, but it's about how, how to organize their resistance, and and this is this kind of happens. I think it, it's not easy to to talk about it in Latin America because we are facing the. Uh, U.S. imperialism, or each country in Latin America are facing all, all the day the U.S. imperialism uh, each day. And here in our region, the campist position, it's very, very strong, not only about the Eastern Europe, but we, we are facing a, a, a strong debate in the Eastern, in the Latin American left about Nicaragua. It's a dictatorship with like, <laughs> you, you can search about Nicaragua. It's not the, the issue, but it's very delayed the, the debate. But at the same time, we think that the right of the Ukrainian people to resist against the 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 aggression, it's like the the minimal that we can. As when we support the uh, Republicans in the uh, Spanish Civil War, as the comrade Aaron said in in, in Vietnam. So, but well, there's a a, a question, a matter of um, inter interimperialist uh, uh, aggression. Well, there is a background of as there is a background in Hong Kong, in Taiwan, and but w- what our what was our position about the the Hong Konger Hong Kong comrades that were crushed by the Chinese uh, repression? I, in, but at the same time, the Hong Kong comrades w- went to the streets with uh, 
not the Hong Kong Congress, but there's a lot of uh, American people, American flags and Trump calling. And it's a very contradictional situation, but we think that for our, uh, uh, the, the framework the, the, of the situation, we need at the first to hear the comrade, the socialist comrades in the in these places, in Belarus, in Ukraine, in Poland, in in the Eastern Europe. Uh, for us, this is the, the most very most important thing because they have the right to to fight for your uh, uh, self determination, and this right was guaranteed by. But by the the concrete ways, you know, by, by the the forces. So this is why we support uh, sending weapons to the Ukrainian resistance against Putin. We are against uh, uh, no flight zone. We are against e each measure that could escalate the conflict to to a nuclear uh, uh, war. But it's very important that the okay. It's very important that the Ukrainian comrades. Uh, could have the the right to defend their their villages, their cities against the uh, aggression, and it was they were winning. They they was winning. Yeah, they took Kherson again. They took. It, it's not like a uh, uh, the retook. Sorry, I don't know the word, but but the retake of Kherson. It's like a, a winning for all of us, I think, you know, because it's like a an aggression and the comrades in Ukraine and there's a lot of socialist comrades in, in the in the in the un, in the units, the, the civilian defense units that they are facing the aggression. So I think this is this need to be our position as we we had a lot of another times in history. Thank you so much. And sorry because my English is really, I don't know if I could. No, that was great. Thank you, Bruno. And thank you again to all of our speakers for being here and for participating in this and making this possible. Um, I, uh, just a reminder of the format here, we're going to move back through the speakers one more time, just shorter contributions, five minutes apiece, so that they all have uh, time to respond to the other points that have been raised uh, before we open it up to the floor, starting again with. Paul, go ahead. Five minutes. Um, yeah, maybe, maybe to start with the point about the need to listen to Ukrainians. I mean, I I agree, hundred percent. I'm very, very interested. I will listen more intently and closely to the Ukrainian comrades who speak than to anybody else in this discussion. I I agree, but it it doesn't end the question. You know, many people present it as well. You have to listen to the Ukrainians. But obviously, there is multiple opinions within Ukrainian society. There is the Zelensky position. There's people who call themselves socialists that are apologists for Putin within uh, Ukraine. So what people really mean is listen to the Ukrainians who I agree with. <laughs> that, in my opinion, in general, that's that's what they mean. Um, so it doesn't. We can't just outsource our thinking. We still need to. We need to. 100% listen. I read very much all of the material coming out of Ukraine, but we still need to have a critical mind and be able to, to consider it and what our approach as international Marxists uh, is, because of course there's a variety of uh, views. Um, secondly, I mean, it seems to me that Bruno's argument and Aaron's argument about what the character of the inter-imperialist conflict is, is slightly different. Um, the comments can can clarify. So Aaron was clear, it's an active inter-imperialist conflict. So I, I got it wrong in thinking that Tempest's position was that it was passive. Bruno's position is that it's a backdrop. 
but I would pose the question then to Aaron. Okay, so Aaron says to us, uh, to simply call it a proxy war is to evade the reality of a national question. I agree. We, we're not arguing. I don't think me or Andreu are arguing this is simply a proxy war. I am saying there's two aspects to this conflict. One is a legitimate war of national liberation against a horrific imperialist invasion by Russia. The other is this inter-imperialist conflict. And so on the surface, it seems that Aaron and I agree that there's a dual character to this conflict. But then what conclusion does Aaron draw from that? What are you doing about the fact that your country, the US, the country you live in, is part of an inter-imperialist conflict? In fact, is one of the two driving countries, the US and Russia, being most involved. How are you opposing your own bourgeoisie in an inter-imperialist conflict? How are you implementing Karl Liebknecht's advice to that the main enemy is, is at home? So if there is an active imperialist, inter-imperialist conflict and you recognize that, surely there have to be some political consequences for that. Surely you have to oppose like your side and both sides in that inter-imperialist conflict. Whereas I don't see that, you know, in the actual political program that you put forward, you are, you support the position of US imperialism to deliver weapons to uh, Ukraine, um, even though they are, and you acknowledge an instrument of inter-imperialist conflict. And I I, I think bluntly that's a political uh, mistake. Um, thirdly, just to be clear, again, I'm not, because again, Aaron kind of suggested, spoke in such a way as to suggest that we're against the right of Ukrainians to get to request weapons, to get weapons from wherever they can they can get them. I'm not speaking against that right. But what I am speaking is that as socialists in Western camp countries in the US, in Ireland, for example, we have a duty to oppose our own bourgeoisie, their own, in the case of the US, imperialist interests. Um, and that means opposing the sending of weapons because they're not being sent because NATO has been transformed into a liberator, into a defender of you know, national liberation. And they're being sent in the pursuit of the inter-imperialist conflict that NATO is carrying out and that Aaron acknowledges is an active part of this conflict against the US and that we have a duty to oppose that. And that brings me to the, I mean, my final point, which is Bruno makes the point that you know, it's kind of all very well for us to say we support the Ukrainian resistance, but without material support, it doesn't mean anything. But like, of all of the four forces that are here, none of us have the material resources to materially support in a very significant way the Ukrainian resistance. Let's be honest, we're not talking, no one here is talking about sending, you know, shipments of workers' arms to to Ukraine. We don't even have any significant influence on whether NATO sends weapons or doesn't. So they are currently sending weapons, Western imperialism, for their own purposes. That's happening, regardless of what our position is. The political choice we have is whether we give a left cover to that, or whether we say that's justified in doing that, or we oppose it and oppose our own bourgeoisie and expose what they're doing. And I think there is a consequence, a negative consequence from going along with the idea that NATO is now an instrument for good, an instrument against uh, oppression. Um, it like undermines our sharp it undermines certainly the clarity of our political independence from our own bourgeoisie. It undermines our opposition to militarism. It undermines our opposition to Western imperialism. I mean, and I'm not, I'm not attributing this position to any of those on the other side in this debate, but like Murray Smith has 
taken it to it to its conclusion. He he wrote that it's irresponsible to talk now about uh, the dissolution sorry, Paul, of, so of NATO. Uh, I finished with that. Sorry. Paul makes a series of rhetorical moves that I reject. You know, first of all, the idea that there's a distinction between a quote unquote active interimperial conflict and a passive interimperial conflict is is doesn't make any sense to me. Look, any any dynamic with amongst nation nation states this this moment, it, in some level or other, involves an active engagement of, of an interimperial conflict. The question is, where are we putting uh, the priority? Tempest, the, um, the forces on the left that we're supporting are not in the U.S. Um, speaking of NATO as a force for good, what we're doing is we're, we're, you know, nor are we actively campaigning for NATO to be sending arms. What we're saying is that the priority in this context and the over, the kind of the force of the dynamic in, in, in Ukraine, the sort of the, is one of national self-determination, the right of Ukrainians to defend themselves. Where the comrades in Ukraine, and I also reject the idea that, you know, when you listen to Ukraine, you're just listening to who you want to hear. I think it's very clear that there's a kind of overwhelming sense in Ukraine that there's a project, objectively a project of 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 of, of a kind of a national project at work, and that national project at work objectively includes forces across the political spectrum, including forces of on on the you know on our side on the socialist left, including forces within the workers' movement that are speaking broadly. In, in the same vein about the need and the call to defend themselves against a, a Russian invasion. So I think that's an objective fact. That's just not listening to who we want to listen to. And that's the predominant dynamic. And that's, and they're actively calling for, you know, for the support for arms. And what we're saying is that we in the West cannot stand um, in opposition to that. That's not about actively campaigning or pretending that NATO's a force for good. In 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 all in all manner of uh, aspects, what we're doing is consistently calling attention to the questions of U.S. imperialism. If you look at our website, if you look at our actions over, you know, over decades. So, you know, I, I reject that there's that 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 there's of course there's a tension, but this is this is how politics is. It's an art and not a science. I'm glad that Bruno made reference to the Trotsky piece. People should read it from 1938. Learn to think. You know, one of the things he says is that a quote, an irreconcilable, here's a quote, an irreconcilable attitude against bourgeois militarism does not signify at all that the proletariat in all cases enters into struggle against its own national army. You know, I'm not much of one to defer to, to authority, but I think Trotsky's onto something here. There's a question of what's the predominant dynamic at work and in the, and, in, and what's going to be our position tactically, strategically, strategically on this question, specific question of arms to Ukraine. And in order to get a hearing, as Bruno, I think, um, persuasively points out, in order to get a hearing amongst those comrades in, in, in Ukraine requires us to stand up, not just rhetorically, but actively to stand up for their right to get arms. Because if we're opposing those, those, those arms for where we're sitting, then we're acting against their interests. We should be very clear. So, you know, in, in broad strokes, I agree with Andrew's three points. I think, I think um, you know, the, the, the questions of support Ukrainian people, support uh, Russian resistance and, and the defectors um, and, and oppose NATO. I think that's, those, that's precisely right. The question is, um, you know, how do we best, how do we best achieve, uh, how do we best achieve uh, those aims? And so, you know, yeah, I, you know, the, 
the um, the focus at this moment, and this, this goes to Andrew's point, the concern, I think there are very real concerns about what the outcome is going to be in terms of the kind of developing inter-imperial dynamic. It's scary. We're in a scary situation and we're in a very weak position as the international left. One minute. This is why I focus, and I think it's important for us to focus on the strategic imperative to build the networks, to build the relationships with the with the with those forces in Eastern Europe who if if we're going to win are going to have to play a role and be part of that project. If we're actively acting against their interests now, we're undermining that very thing, which is, I believe, the key, you know, an important key to unlocking um, that prospect, which is what, at the end of the day, we're relying on. Thanks, Terrence. Yes, very very briefly. Um, well, I think that the U.S. Uh, military aid to Ukraine is already going far beyond the annual Russian military budget. So this is something totally unprecedented since since the American military aid that preceded their ent- entry in Second World War. Um, and uh, I think that major Western leaders, officials, and even spies have said explicitly that they are waging a uh, proxy war against uh, Russia to the last Ukrainian uh, with their typical cynicism. I think this is a fact, but it, uh, that doesn't mean it's contradictory with the fact that the Ukrainians are doing this not for the sake of NATO, but to defend the the uh, survival of their own country. The, the, the dramatic uh, situation is that both situations are intertwined. And I think we've got to be very clear about this and avoid any simplification. I said earlier there was three conflicts at one where each bully has done similar things to the, pre- to the previous one. So uh, I was talking about um, civil war in some regions, then the imperialist invasion, and finally the proxy war of NATO against Russia. And this has been a slab, a slab, a Slavic uh, Afghanistan for the Russians, equivalent to what um, Afghanistan was for the USSR, and probably have a similar outcome. Um, and at the time of the collapse of the USSR, some said, well, champagne, okay, but with a very important dose of Alka-Seltzer, because uh, this can't, um, can't lead to uh, anything uh, very progressive, given the dynamic of militarization of general society, uh, um, the Western, uh, Western Europe and uh, the world at uh, world scale. And finally, uh, material support to Ukrainians is, is an euphemism. When we're talking from the left, it's a political support to what our own governments are doing. Uh, let's face it, um, I, I admit uh, a contradictory situation, but we can't avoid reality. And I think that this um, has nothing to do, this interested support of, of the West to Ukraine with their liberation. And I think it's very offensive to compare it to civil war in Spain uh, in the first place, because in this case, uh, the, the Spanish uh, Republic... Uh, had uh, no uh, Western um, supply of arms precisely because it was a progressive government. And I'm absolutely convinced that at the time, France and Britain were totally aware of that. And that's why they denied the arms to us. And in in the same manner as the US or the EU denied any uh, military support to the Syrian democratic uprising at the beginning of the civil war, for the same reason, it was progressive at at first. And I think that... um, I really think that they only support reactionary uh, regimes that develop their own interests. Uh, and I really think that bourgeoisie has a lot more means than we have in, in the labor movements in the left and the far left to to assure these interests are being applied. Um, 
and I, and I really think we've got to be more uh, modest about about our capacity to understand what is actually going on 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 the Ukrainian arena. Well, thank you, comrades. I I think the first matter is I think the debate's not about what we really can do because we are all weak in our countries in the whole world, but it's about our uh, our principles matter, you know, because we are we were against the the no intervention committee in the Spanish Civil War too, and and I think when we well imperialism is is not a it's it's a system it's not a, a geopolitical board so there there's a, a the feedback the each imperialist country they, they had like a, a feedback relationship uh, among them uh, so when when we think about uh well we cannot what i i need to say is uh, when we go to the concrete uh way when you think about the ukrainian comrades and how they can resist the aggression and all of us ag agree that it's an aggression uh, it the only uh, concrete way to resist the aggression it's the by uh, taking weapons from the countries that produce weapons huh? well and the, uh, for me, th this is a con concrete thing because when we think about the well, the socialists in Ukraine and they, that comrades uh, think about what the socialists in Belarus, what the socialists in Kazakhstan and Uzbekistan, all the uh, Central Asia, in all the situation of that comrades in the military dictatorships and in uh, with the developing of the uh, with, with the advance of the Russian army that could happen in Ukraine because what we are facing now in Donetsk and Luhansk are like military dictatorships and there's a lot of features of ethnic clemency in Crimea and the eastern Ukraine with the Tatars and other minorities and the, well when you think about that and that the Ukrainian comrades are fighting against uh imperialist power and for me it, it's it's like a principal matter it, it's very clear that we, we need to defend with all the the ways uh, we need to defend the right of these comrades to, to defend yeah uh, their country it's not because well as i said if we talk with comrades from Social Neruk with comrades from Razin in Poland with comrades from uh, a lot of Organizations in Eastern Europe, leftist organizations with a different traditions, the the problem was not the the NATO. The problem is like what we will do with the Russian uh, imperialism and how we can, as internationalists, uh, answer the these comrades. Like uh, we can we can't uh, wash our hands. You know, I'm, I'm sorry. I, I have a few words in English, but uh, we, we can. We need to have like a concrete uh, position for this comrade. You you have the right to defend your country. If the U.S. imperialism try to invade Brazil, I will defend 
my country, uh, the self-determination with the Bolsonarists, with the far right, you know, and, and, and this we can talk about the, because we were talking against an imperialism, as Trotsky said, against the French imperialism in Algeria, uh, as we, we can say in a lot of, of, of kinds of, of imperialism, as we can say in Argentina, when a lot of communists defend the Argentinian liberation war in Malvinas against the uh, British mm-hmm. imperialism. And so for me, it's, we are talking like a, about, a pre, it's not only about a geopolitical issue, it's about a principal issue, about uh, how, well, we are talking there uh, Irish comrades in, in the debate, you know, there, there is a, a war of liberation in Irish, in, in Ireland about, and it, it, this is not about to be what, what kind of government is in in England. What's the interests of the people who support the Irish independence? It, it's about like a, the self determination of of these peoples, and this is why we think that. And I agree totally with the three points of the Foreign International that Comrade Andrew said. But I think that for me, uh, this was part of a broad movement to support support the Ukrainian resistance and to support the Russian uh, resistance too. Because And to finish, because we don't talk about it, but we could face uh, internal movement in the Russian regime that could be the uh, uh, important development for all the situation because the Russian dictatorship, we cannot right. talk a lot about that, but it's happened internally. Thank you so much, Bruno. Um, sorry to cut you off a little bit there, but just trying to keep the time for everyone. Um, all right, so now it is time for us to open up to the floor and then at the end of it, we will have a chance to go back through our panelists uh, next this time in reverse order uh, to get a chance to kind of wrap up. Um, our first speaker from the floor uh, will be uh, Denise Pilash, who is in the uh, so- social movement Ukraine. So we'll have uh, five minutes to speak. So go ahead, Denise. Uh, thank you for giving me the floor. Hello. Uh, so I'm from Social Neruch, from social movement, the Ukrainian socialist organization. Uh, sorry, I'm without without the camera because we have blackouts due to um, this constant uh, Russian missile attacks that are now specifically targeting uh, infrastructure, civilian infrastructure objects. Um, effectively, their goal is to uh, blackout us to freeze us out in in the conditions of winter, uh, and uh, albeit the workers of uh, emergency services and energy sectors they are um, performing miracles to restore these energy grids and uh, power plants, uh, we still have to these schedules of uh, blackouts. Uh, so uh, yes, actually we uh, are now in a very hard situation after all these months of a very brutal war when entire uh, cities and towns, especially in Donbass, were wiped out by the Russian army. And um, what, and we had uh, probably uh, the death toll of civilians is much, much higher than it's estimated now. Uh, so in this situation, our organization and other Ukrainian socialists, anarchists, unionists, we have to perform uh, different tasks on on many levels so um 
first of all, lots of lots of comrades have joined um, uh, armed resistance. Uh, lots have joined um, different uh, humanitarian voluntary networks. So we are trying to do our best to help those who are in need, who have been most affected by the war, those who had to be um, displaced persons. And actually, again, the number is higher than um, not only those who had to leave Ukraine, but also those who are internally displaced, who had to relocate to safer parts of the country. And uh, at the same time, obviously, there is no um, ceasefire in class warfare. So in any any such kind of situation, any ruling class will grab it in order to curb um, social and labor rights and to expand their own um, agency. So we also have to uh, oppose uh, those anti-social measures that have been taken by um, the neoliberal MPs and uh, neoliberal ministers in 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 the government. Uh, so it's a task of multiple uh, like levels of resistance. And actually, I want to make a counterpoint to what was said that there is no no way of material support of uh, from labor movement because actually. It is, and uh, comrades from all over um, the places, from different leftist parties, from left bloc in Portugal to uh, left uh, alliance in Finland, from different internationals, from uh, labor unions, from uh, networks that are called the European Network um, of Solidarity of Ukraine and uh, International uh, Labor Coordination of Solidarity and Struggles, as they have been. Uh, helping their comrades materially uh, with uh, different uh, goods and different humanitarian aid uh, with uh, not just political support but also concrete material support as well so this is a very uh, solidarity that can be um, like feasible um, so we we shouldn't just say that there is no way for um, labor movement, international labor movement to support its comrades uh, and in general the working class in Ukraine. Uh, and um, uh, getting to this question, it's the working class of Ukraine that is now uh, bearing the main uh, like the main uh, burden of the war. It is waging this war actually uh, like what by defending their right to exist. And uh, I, I would say that more than 90% of uh, working class people in, in Ukraine, they will be completely united in, in uh, that simple notion that in order to uh, survive in, in, in when we have this existential threat of be, being exterminated, because like the Russian uh, officials, Russian MPs, Russian propagandists are now very cheering about uh, an entire country being frozen to death, and not just the direct casualties of uh, of their imperialist aggression, but also indirect, because you have people in hospitals who are dying without electricity and so on. Uh, so, um, so uh, in in this context, I um, have something like a, a question suggestion, um, because like um, Comrade Andreu um, like said that um, like. It, they are for um, for the right of uh, Ukrainian people for self-defense, but at the same time, like against delivery of weaponry. And um, again, it's a myth that um, United States 
has thrown a, a military hardware to Ukraine uh, that is more than the Russian defense budget. It is not. The majority of uh, like people in the Ukrainian armed forces, I, they are so sorry, still... I ask you to yes. wrap, you to wrap up. Yes, yes, yes. I'm, I'm going to the, to the point. They are, they are fighting with the old Soviet arms, and there is no bonanza of uh, Western arms, and we're still in desperate lack, for instance, anti-aircraft, anti-missile systems just to protect the civilian population from this, uh, uh, like, terror attacks by, by, by uh, Putin's Russia. And, um, like, to, to comrade Paul, uh, whom I deeply respect because a decade ago when the, uh, the, in Kazakhstan, the, uh, local dictatorship, uh, the Nazarbayev regime massacred, um, the oil workers in Janaozen, and he was in the European Parliament denouncing it and spreading the truth. Uh, at the same time, when many Stalinists were like playing this game that, oh, it's the labor movement in Kazakhstan is some kind of proxy of Western, you know, Western, um, intelligence and so on. This was the position of the so-called uh, Communist Party of Ukraine, for instance. Uh, but uh, uh, about, uh, like, again, this position, uh, how do you suggest um, Ukrainian people now to, to uh, defend themselves with what? Uh, 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 where we should uh, obtain these arms? And, uh, and just a modest proposal. Wait, I'm sorry if I can ask you to yes. wrap up last sentence here. Yes, the, the, the last, last question. A modest proposal. Maybe if we want to have a very radical anti-establishment position, maybe you should say that it's better for these Western arms because it's again used as a pretext to uh, like to uh, multiple multiply the military industrial complex. So maybe it's better uh, to demilitarize the Western uh, militaries by sending these arms to those who are under other imperialist attack, like Kurds in Rojava or uh, Ukrainians, then to give them, to, to sell them to some Arab sheikhs, uh, who, uh, Saudis, who will uh, then massacre Yemenis. So may, maybe uh, you can have both in this position, both uh, aspects. Thank you so much for coming in and offering that perspective, Denise. A lot of issues, comrades. Um, let's try. Um, my, my position is not an easy position, but I, I'm trying to face the the concrete problem. I will return to this because I think it's a pi our pivotal question. Because what's our um, advice to the Ukrainian comrades, to the Denis Pilish and another comrade that are now Ukraine today, revolutionary socialists. It's to surrender, it's to flee, or it's to resist. <laughs> All of us agree that the Ukrainian comrades have the right to resist. So if the comrades have the right to resist, we go to the second uh, question. Is, uh, with what guns uh, Comrade Dennis uh, said very well that there, uh, 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 there is already a solidarity network uh, to support the Ukrainian workers, and, but this is not the necessary to face the Russian weapons, the Russian army. The, the, in the first round, in the first uh, weeks of the war, the, the power of the, the the courage of the Ukrainian people made that the Russian the Putin don't achieve what uh, he needs. Uh, that was like a 
total uh, defeat of Ukraine. But in this uh, in these first weeks, uh, the Ukrainian uh, Ukrainian army and Ukrainian resistance became empty, and the, they need uh, more support to maintain the war. So, for me. This is why I'm, I'm always talking that's a principal question. We need to defend the right of the comrades to resist with uh, meanings, with, with material, with concrete ways to resist. This is why we, we defend the, uh, the so sending weapons. Well, a comrade Nico said about, we don't defend like no flight zone. I said about it. We don't defend uh, nuclear weapons. We, we defend, as Dennis said, uh, Dennis are asking for uh, defensive weapons uh, against the shelling, the, against air, air bombers, you know. So this is uh, what we stand for. As, as I think, Trotsky said in the uh, Learn to Think article of uh, 36. Well, the about the Zelensky government, at the same time that the Ukrainian comrades are resisting, re re resisting the Russian aggression, they're fighting against the, the neoliberal Zelensky projects, uh, government projects. There are, there were, uh, an important uh, movement of unions in Ukraine against uh, a new uh, legislation that who will attack uh, workers' rights in Ukraine. And the comrades did uh, both struggles. We, we are not uh, defending the Zelensky government, but against an imperialist invasion, you have to choose about only three options. We, we cannot be uh, idealists. We, are, we need to talk about, uh, we need to be materialists in this debate. You can resist, you can flee, or you can surrender. And the, what we are defending is that, that the, com the Ukrainian comrades need to be the right, need to have the right of resist. And this is what happens. And this is why I think it's close, it's similar with another historical situations. Because in a lot of another historical situations, the debate of the non-intervention, we are against wars, could uh, helps, help it, sorry, the the imperialist power in not not only in, in Spain but in Ethiopia in well, there's a lot of of, of, of examples um, the only two things 30 seconds for each other, for each one uh, the position of don't support the this this position don't support the resist the Ukrainian resistance uh, is trained strengthened the far right in Ukraine because the far right it's 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 a terrible, but the far right it's one of the a current sector that are defending the Ukrainian uh, self determination now. When a lot of comrades in the eastern, uh, in the western left, don't 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 do this, you know. So I think uh, 
this this kind of if uh, we made uh, okay a strong support to the Ukrainian left, we could fight the far right at the same time. And to finish, we defend the Donbas self determination, the Donbas people self determination too. But all the Donbas people, not only the Donbas people today, because there was a ethnical cleansing in the Donbas in the Crimea. A lot of comrades in the Donbas in the Crimea were expelled from his homes. So we, when we talk about the Donbas self determination, we need to talk about all the Donbas people self determination. Yeah, just. Uh... Uh, some general, um, some general um, uh, remarks. In, in the first, in the first place, um, uh, yes, in, in fact, it is possible to give uh, material support, modest, but material support from a labor movement um, uh, networks and also political organizations, which is also the case of anti-capitalistas. That even it would have different approaches or different nuances uh, supported materially both uh and, and and the russian socialist movement with a fundraising campaign right at the beginning of the war um the problem the problem is that, of the weapons is that the weapons by themselves don't solve uh the, the conflict as such and we can um um and and the problem in in my view is that there won't be an end to this war without some kind of political uh agreement um on the other hand, um, uh, about what M M Molina uh, was saying, I think that uh, this war has also solved one of the major conflicts among the uh, American um, um, ruling class about what's pr what priority to to focus against Russia or focus against China. And I think that they've solved the equation saying first Russia and then China. But it's all linked and it's not, uh, and it's um, obviously the tensions this summer around Taiwan are also related to, to the growing international tension. And I think that the, um, um, the whole situation is very dangerous. And can and can um, go out of control at at any time. Um, then the other the other element is that in all all political all material and and weapons aid has always associated some kind of political conditionality by the ones that supply them. So um, I think that uh, and I know this quite well. This history that uh, a major price that the Spanish Republic. Especially the revolutionary forces had to pay for Soviet uh, military support was subordination to Stalinist rule uh, in the in the last uh, phase of the civil war in the, in the Spanish case. But I think that uh, when political leaderships are effectively anti-imperialist and able to maneuver among different uh, imperialist contradictions, like was it was the case of Tito in Yugoslavia or Ho Chi Minh in in, in Vietnam. They were able to to keep uh, a great deal of political independence and agency that escaped the control of of these main powers that were maneuvering. And I think that this is something. That I think this is the path that that the Ukrainian left should try to uh, to follow. But obviously, through confrontation against uh, a right wing neoliberal uh, and pro imperialist uh, government. Um, that's weakening the the rights of of labor movement using this uh, uh, shocked uh, tactic of of war, of course, as the Western governments are also doing the same to impose uh, growing budgets, military budgets, cuts in in freedom of speech and 
and demonization and of of the of internal opposition. So I think this is the the key key questions of the situation. Thanks. Let me quickly start by saying I very much agree with Bruno um, on the concrete requirements of what material support looks like. I hope that's clear through this uh, through this discussion and what it, what what not doing that would mean, what the implications of that would mean um, for 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 Ukraine and the possibilities of building solidarity and what it means for the the relative strength of the right um, uh, in in Ukraine. Um, the also just very quickly to the comrade who asked the question about learn to think. Trotsky is talking about uh, uh, forces in Algeria operating, quote, under the banner of self-determination, just like in Ukraine. He's not talking about Leninist forces. Um, so we should be clear, there is absolutely an applicability of that analysis to the current situation. Um, I, I want to go to what Philip said about the question of so-called socialists or DSA members in Congress. I mean, you know, this may be inside baseball for those who are outside of the U.S. at this point in time, but you know, in the with 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 one exception, all of those forces essentially just voted um, in support of Biden and the Democratic Party for uh, to to scab on railway workers. So the idea that any of these forces are going to be one to a kind of principled Leninist uh, Tribune of the People position in Congress, I think we're just fooling ourselves. Um, could we come up with a dream list of of demands we would like our dream Congress people to be making at the moment? Absolutely, and that could include actively. Um, you know, undermining NATO and demilitarizing bases and and calling for support for military support to to Ukraine and calling for, uh, you know, an end to the debt in Ukraine. I think we need to be modest about uh, understanding about what our position is. This sort of goes to Evelyn's point. I'm not arguing we shouldn't support arms to Ukraine, just the opposite. I'm just speaking to we know what where we are realistically at this moment on the left. Uh, we're not in a position in Congress to be to be making any real demands or control at that at that level. There was a very concrete experience earlier this year where independent trade unions in Ukraine and the comrades in SR, the social movement in Ukraine, were lobbying the AFL-CIO in Washington to back the demand of Ukrainian trade unions, independent and, and, and formal and, and non-independent, um, to oppose the government's uh, neoliberalization of the labor laws. And the and the and the AFL-CIO you know, failed that test, not surprisingly. And there's an, ex an example of concrete solidarity we could have undertaken, and we need to be able to build um, for being able to take those actions in the future. Um, the idea that, uh, just on the question of negotiations, I just think, you know, Hector, with respect, the idea that diplomacy would have left Ukraine unscathed, I think, is foolishness. Um, you know, diplomacy would have left Ukraine with 20% of its uh, you know, army and uh, population and, and territory under Russian control, um, and uh, you know, and its and its national project completely disrupted under the under the Putin regime. So, what what diplomacy are we talking about? And I raise this not to pick on Hector, but to point out that there is actually, and I said this in my initial talk, a very active process going on that we need to keep our eyes on. That's uh, a diplomatic process. That's very much about imperial interests and not about the interests of Ukraine necessarily, or certainly about the interests of the Ukrainian forces um, that we would support. And I think this speaks to the the question of the difference between this, you know, this the que the question of the imperial interests and the questions of the interests of national um, national self determination. And I take people's caution about 
you know, speaking so definitively about, um, you know, what Ukrainian people want or don't want. But I'm glad Denis was here. And I think we need to do my point is I think we need to be much more active in building that solidarity in those networks so that we can more readily hear what those comrades um, have to say. Finally, to John Molyneux, I think there are implications for the future. Um, and very quickly, it's in particular in the South China Sea, in, in the context of the uprising in, in the uprising in China and what's gone on in Taiwan, the analysis about building those building those uh, solidaristic internationalist networks from below in Ukraine applies just as much to the comrades in Taiwan and just as much to the comrades in China who are actively, um, you know, in the midst of their own fight. That if we want a future where we're able to sort of challenge, um, have a have a force that can actively challenge the imperialist system, it's going to require us rebuilding those networks as an international left and not just, you know, be in our small, weak ghettos um, on, in the West. Thank you very much to the comrades. This was a very productive uh, discussion. Thanks a lot. Um, and I do think it's been a very valuable, real engagement dealing with each other's um, you know, real ideas rather than straw men and so on. So we should do more of this. Um, if you look at Karl Liebknecht's famous speech in the Reichstag, uh, where he spoke against war credit supporting German imperialism in World War I, um, you know, the most famous part of that speech is the main enemy is at home. But there's another part of the speech where he says, and he emphasizes it over and over again, he says, learn everything, forget nothing. And what he's arguing against is the German propaganda is focusing on the latest atrocities against Germany, whipping people up and saying, this is outrageous, we have to fight back, etc., etc. And he's saying, no, we have to look at this in its historical context. We have to look at it globally. We have to look at the crimes of German imperialism as well. And, and I think that there's something very important for us there, which is to refuse to accept that we only see it in the very narrow lens that some people want us to, to primarily see it in, which is the horrific events since February, the absolute horror that is being inflicted upon the people of Ukraine. I want to to really extend my solidarity um, to Dennis and the other comrades in, in Ukraine, but to refuse to look at it in the global context of rising inter-imperialist uh, tensions and now an active inter-imperialist conflict. And, you know, I, I do think that's the fundamental difference. I don't know Aaron in this, at the start said he does agree there is an active inter-imperialist conflict, but he certainly doesn't place any emphasis on it. Bruno doesn't place any emphasis at all uh, on it. Like, in my opinion, that's the difference with Trotsky's historical or his uh, hypothetical situation in Learn to Think. He's not talking about an inter-imperialist uh, war, whereas this is. It's not just a proxy war. It is actually a real imperialist invasion, a war of national liberation and so on. But it is also uh, an inter-imperialist uh, conflict. Um, and I think that has consequences for those of us in both of those camps um, and the need to say the main enemy is at home to oppose our own bourgeoisie while also uh, obviously opposing you know, the, the other imperialist side and in this case, emphasizing support for the Ukrainian uh, people. And so like Bruno says, this is a principle, this is a principle, this is a principle. But, you know, when Serbia was invaded at the start of World War One by the Austro-Hungarian Empire. You know, even Lenin says, for the people there, it's a continuation of the national liberation struggle. They've been invaded by an imperialist power. He says one percent of the conflict is now is now a national liberation 
uh, struggle. But it isn't the end of the question. It's like there would have been people making the argument about Belgium later on in World War One that look the rights of small nations and so on. And um, is I'm not saying only one percent of the conflict here is an imperialist invasion. I think it's much more than that. Although I think the balance is shifting more and more to, towards being an inter-imperialist uh, conflict as more and more weapons and so on are are poured in. But like in my opinion, that's that's the crucial difference. So that's I do think the underlying difference of analysis and also similarly in terms of the Spanish uh, Civil War and uh, so on. In terms of John's question of what is the agenda of US imperialism in a, in a more concrete way, I think that's interesting. I think knocking Russia back, now bogging Russia down in a long uh, war for which the Ukrainian people pay the, the main uh, price is a significant element. Um, I think establishing hegemony over the European capitalist classes is a, is a part of it. Um, you know, in the past, EU militarization was a project which was partly in conflict with the agenda of US imperialism. And there was tensions with it, whereas now it's fully integrated under the banner of uh, NATO with clear US leadership. And I think then preparing for battle in terms of uh, China is the other key uh, factor, um, as Andreo said. And I think that that brings to the other interesting question. I'm sorry, I can't get to very many of the questions, but that John raised about... Um, the consequences about this for the future in terms of the left. And I think there are consequences. I mean, I think this is not a World War I moment from my perspective in terms of the division of the left. And But it, if it continues and we continue to have significant differences while the world goes deeper and deeper into inter-imperialist conflicts, then I think it can become something more like that moment. Like, you know, already, I think the outlines of significant differences over how you would react to what would happen in Taiwan. Um, if the US... Uh, sorry, if China invades Taiwan and there's a response by the US and similar type situation happened around Ukraine, I think Aaron is saying that like he'd have a similar type position. He'd be in favor of weapons to, to Taiwan and so on. And I think like that would put him in his imperialist camp, in the imperialist camp of the US um, in the context right. of you know, a Cold War that is becoming a hot war and so on. And I would say a same sort of approach here, that you support the Taiwanese people, right to self-determination and so on, but you have to oppose um, the inter-imperialist conflict because I think this is going to more and more be a dominant feature of the world uh, situation. So I do think orienting ourselves is, is important. So therefore, we should continue the discussion. Thanks. Thank you. Thank you so much, Paul, and, and all the other speakers, everyone, uh, for being here and uh participating in this in you know in a comradely debate um i think this has been really productive uh, just a couple of words before we uh close the actual call um if if you enjoyed this uh i should plug uh the organization that uh organized it um this meeting was organized by more uh marxist organizing for revolutionary eco-socialism or a collective made up of reform and revolution in the u.s rise in ireland and learning in Kampf in germany each group is different and unique, but we have come together around a couple of agreed documents, which should be available on our new website soon. Uh, in advance, I can tell you that some of our common key features are that all three of our groups work as a Marxist wing in broader left projects. So DSA in America, People Before Profit in Ireland, and Die Linke in Germany. Uh, we do this as we think the task of Marxists is not to build isolated sects, but to build a revolutionary socialist wing of the existing movements. We believe this principled mass work or united front work is crucial for socialists working with others to build genuinely mass movements, uh, but also ensuring that within that we push socialists and Marxist ideas. Secondly, 
All our groups lay an emphasis on the need for democratic organization, rejecting the bureaucratic centralism of much of the revolutionary left. We believe that it is only through discussion and debate involving all members in the decision-making process that we can truly develop the Marxist organizers that we need. And finally, we're eco-socialists. We believe that the climate crisis is a crisis of capitalism and that the single biggest issue we face is that climate crisis. As eco-socialists, we, uh, that means we argue that the environmental movement must be socialist and the reverse, that the socialist movement must be environmentalist. Uh, and that's it. Uh, so just everyone, uh, again, thank you for being here.